Tempo Sports on a Friday with your host, Coach P. We're going to get right to this, folks. Game number four in the Western Conference Finals. Lakers leading two games to one. Denver needing to tie this series. And that's why he is the king, LeBron James. Because the king decided that he had seen enough of the scoring ex- the scoring exploits of one Jamal Murray, the sensational guard for the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray finished the night with 32 points, but in the last four minutes of this game, he was being defended by none other than LeBron James. And LeBron held Jamal Murray scoreless as the Lakers pull out an all-important 114-108 victory and now sit three games to one with one game between them and reaching the NBA Finals, a place they have not been since 2010. Let's give you a little highlights of this game, folks. We just talked about LeBron James and his defense on Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, who is becoming such a prolific scorer in this bubble. Jamal Murray, who is setting his sights on being one of the next young rising stars in this league. Folks, he was hitting shots from all over the place. If he wasn't hitting a three, he was hitting a Jordan-like reverse. If he wasn't doing that, he was coming down the lane, breaking defenders down, and then finishing at the rack. LeBron said enough is enough. And to me, the challenge that LeBron took by taking on Denver's best player is why the Lakers now sit three games to one. The Lakers can't get comfortable. We've already seen what Denver has done throughout the playoffs, especially when they have been down with their backs against the wall in two different series against the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, they come back against the LA Clippers and Kawhi Leonard, they come back in a game seven. The Lakers want to end this sooner than later. Game five is Saturday night and I think the Lakers want to finish this off Because they know on the other side in the Eastern Conference Finals, which will be tonight a Game 5, the Miami Heat have an opportunity to close out the Boston Celtics. We don't know what will happen in that game, but the Lakers know that they need rest for their stars. Anthony Davis, offensively again in this game, was great. AD, 34 points. He got us some rebounds tonight, folks. Still wasn't. AD like rebounds double digit wise. He only had five, but that's better than one. For this series, just in case you didn't know, Anthony Davis is leading the Lakers in scoring. He's averaging 32.5 points a game and almost seven rebounds at six and a half rebounds a game. It wasn't his scoring last night that the Lakers were concerned about. It was more his health. As 
in the fourth quarter, AD stepped on the back of Paul Millsap's shoe as he rose up for a jump shot, and he came down on the back of Paul Millsap's shoe, grimacing in pain. For a moment, you thought that maybe AD wasn't going to be able to not only finish that game, but potentially could miss the next game. But for the Lakers, they're riding this wave of success. They're riding this wave of what potentially looks like a destiny trip to the NBA Finals. AD was able to overcome his injury and finish out this game. But it wasn't just AD scoring that the Lakers needed last night. It was the energy that they didn't have in game number three that was troubling to not only the Laker fan base, but to the Laker players and Coach Vogel. So what did Coach Vogel do to try to change the pace, to try to get a different result early on? He went to Dwight Howard as his starting center. Dwight Howard did not disappoint. The man they used to call Superman came out strong, came out high energy, came out focused. Dwight Howard ends up with 12 points and 11 rebounds. No offense to JaVale McGee, but Dwight bought his A game tonight. And they're going to need him to bring his A game if they want to finish up with this series with the Denver Nuggets. Dwight put a lot of pressure on Jokic, not only from a defensive standpoint, but offensively crashing the boys for second chance points. The Lakers do what the Lakers have been doing the whole series. They got back to dominating the rebounding. 41 rebounds for the Lakers, 33 for the Nuggets. That doesn't seem like a lot, but if you think about it from an offensive standpoint, the second chance points is where it comes up. The Lakers, 25 points off of second chance points. That is what the difference in this game was. 25 points off of second chance points. That's the difference in your ball game, along with more fouls being called for the Lakers, one LeBron James. That's the difference. That's why they are up three games and one with a chance to close this series out. Rajon Rondo, 11 points, seven assists. Folks, Rondo has been the X factor for the Lakers since he returned to the bubble after his injury to his hand. Him being able to facilitate takes so much pressure off LeBron. LeBron finishes with 26 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists of his own. The only, the only marker, black mark that I give to LeBron, and I've said this throughout the playoffs, is that it becomes a problem. It's a tendency that LeBron is going to have to break and maybe it's going to have to be done by either Coach Frank Vogel or assistant coach Jason Kidd. But somebody needs to get in LeBron's ear and remind him that you cannot allow the shot clock to get down to 24 from 24 seconds down to four or five seconds before you decide to put the offense in motion. You're playing ISO basketball, which is not good at all because it leaves everybody standing around waiting to see what you're going to do. It's almost as if they your teammates become fans and they're captivated to to figure out what move you're going to come up with now. That's not good. The ball needs to continue to move whether it's LeBron who 
has control of running the offense or whether it's Caruso or whether it's Rondo. But the ball needs to continue to move to keep everybody active and everybody involved in the flow of the game. LeBron, that's my only issue with LeBron James. There is nothing else you can really find that stands out more to me than when he goes ISO and he allows the shot clock to get down to, like I said, four or five seconds left before you go into the offense, and then you start settling for shots. You settle for ill-advised three-point shots, or you end up making a bad pass because at this particular point now, the offense is broken down, and you're just looking for an outlet. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough in my viewpoint that if the Lakers are going to be a championship caliber team, they can't. They need to clean these things up now because whether they face Boston or they face Miami, those two teams are so defensive minded, especially the Miami Heat, are so defensive minded that those turnovers can turn into second chance points for those teams when and if the Lakers get to the NBA Finals. It's not going to be an easy game five, folks, on Saturday night. You know Jamal Murray is going to put this team on his back, and he's going to hope that his running mate, Jokic, the Joker, can come and do it as well. But the first thing is the Joker is going to have to stay out of foul trouble in order to help Jamal Murray. Again, Jamal Murray, folks, has been fantastic. If you have not been able to see the games, I advise you to go on YouTube and look at the highlights. Jamal Murray is a bucket Getter, bucket, maker. He's an exciting ball player to watch. He did get some assistance tonight from uh, Jeremy Grant once again. It wasn't 26 points, but he did get a cool 17. He got 11 from Michael Porter Jr. That's the X factor going into game five, I believe, that they're going to need more point production from Michael Porter Jr. The kid has all the tools, folks, to be the next budding star. But they have got to start running more plays for him. He has to be more aggressive offensively, even though the plays are running through Jamal Murray and the Joker. When Michael Porter comes in with that second unit, he has got to be the number one scorer, and he's got to look to take that shot. He's got to look to be aggressive in regards to taking the ball for taking the ball to the basket and not just settling for a jump shot. His jump shot is wet. His jump shot is fantastic. But in order for you to be more involved and to get yourself to the free throw line where you can do damage that way as well, you have to put the ball on the floor and have the referee blow the whistle. You can't just settle for jump shots behind a three-point line because now they're just going to play you for the jump shot, not worrying about the fact that you have no intentions of putting the ball on the floor and going to the basket. So those are some things that Denver is going to have to change up if they hope to stab off elimination in game number five on Saturday evening. Speaking of elimination, let's go back and talk about the Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami sizzling heat and the Boston Celtics. Miami with an opportunity to close out the Celtics tonight and return to the NBA Finals, a place they haven't been since LeBron James left. In 2014 was the last year that they were there. So it's been six years since the Heat have been in the finals. You know 
that the Godfather himself, Pat Riley, can't wait for the opportunity to potentially face LeBron James and the Lakers if they are due to meet on that collision course. But first things first, Miami first has to try to see if they can control Jason Tatum tonight along with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and prevent this from going to a game six. They're going to have to get a great offensive performance tonight from Jimmy Butler. The Butler needs to be more aggressive offensively. We've seen what he can do on the defensive side of the ball. We've seen what he does as a facilitator. But they're going to need Jimmy Butler to give them offensively the effort that they got from their young rookie sensation, Tyler Hero, in game number four when he exploded for 37 points. Tyler Hero hit every big basket that the Heat needed at every opportunity. He was their go-to guy. He shows you and he's telling you he is not afraid of the moment, that the lights can't be any brighter, and he because he's going to be the brightest light when that opportunity presents itself on the floor. If they can get a performance similar to that from Jimmy Butler tonight, as well as Tyler Hero showing up and showing out, and then Goran Dragic doing what he does, I think the Miami Heat will advance to the NBA Finals tonight. But like I said, don't be surprised if the Celtics and their Celtic pride come into this game and force a game number six. It should be an exciting game in the bubble tonight. And then, like I said, tomorrow night, you will have the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. While we're still on the subject of basketball, we told you a few days ago that Tyron Lue and Mike D'Antoni, former coach of the Houston Rockets, were the front runners potentially for the job in Philly. Now there's rumors circulating that the Philadelphia 76ers are kind of leaning more in the direction of Mike D'Antoni because what they're hoping for or what they're potentially looking at is if they can pull off a deal, a trade, to try to bring the beard, that's right, the bearded one, James Harden, to Philadelphia in a trade. Now, I don't know how that would work because I'm not sure how James Harden fits in. And if you trade with Houston for James Harden, what does Houston want back in return? Do they want a Joel Embiid? Or do they see the potential to build around and you keep Russell Westbrook and you build around Ben Simmons, you bring Ben Simmons in? I'm going to say this about Ben Simmons. There are a lot of coaches that have been fired in professional sports waiting for a player to reach his potential. Potential is a key word that equates to potentially being fired. And that's what you're getting with Ben Simmons. No one's ever doubted this young man's ability. I keep hearing adjectives laid upon him like he's great. He has so much greatness. Folks, I I need to see production. I need to see production. I need to see performance. This kid doesn't want to shoot a basketball. And I heard someone say, well, if if you take him off the ball and make him more of a forward, then... It's not as crucial for him to be a shooter. I don't know what basketball games you're looking at, 
and what basketball players that are supposed to be with this much potential to be a superstar, they can't shoot a basketball. There are a lot of players that have played in this league that have been promising and didn't reach their potential. There have been a lot of players in this league that came into the league not being able to shoot and have had Hall of Fame careers. Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd, just to name two. But those guys had a work ethic that they wanted to get better all around. They had the basketball savvy, the basketball IQ to be successful. But in order for them to round their games out and to get to that elite level, they knew that they had to get better as shooters. And that's what they did. It just seems like to me that Ben Simmons is more concerned about his lifestyle outside of basketball as opposed to his long-term employment as a potential star in the NBA. You can't be a star or keep having people label you as a superstar when you are unwilling to shoot. Yes, he has, it appears as though he has a high basketball IQ. Yes, he is, he plays well on the defensive side of the ball. But at 6'9", almost 6'10", you need to be able to shoot at least a mid-range shot. No one's saying that you have to be Kevin Durant and shoot from the three-point line on a consistent basis. No one is saying that you have to stand out and shoot jump shots all game long. But what you have to do is be a threat. When you make yourself one-dimensional, when teams are only trying to stop you from getting to the basket, you give the defense the upper hand. Now, they can play five on four because they're not worried about you shooting. They just want to stop you from getting to the basket. So I'm not sure if the rumors are true about Philly possibly not only hiring coach Mike D'Antoni, but also trying to see if they can facilitate a trade for James Harden, what they would be willing to give up and what pieces are you going to build around James Harden in regards to which player do you get rid of? Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Stay tuned. We have yet to see what this is going to look like but it should be interesting water cooler talk until a decision has been made first of all by for a coach and then we'll see down the line probably in the offseason what they decide to do in regards to the chess pieces they put on the board for a future team in Philadelphia we're going to take a small break and then when we return of course you know It's Football Frenzy, week number three in the NFL. So we'll be back to discuss week three's picks and whatever else we can find to entertain you here on Uptempo Sports 24-7. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll be right back. Ah, 
yeah, welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7. And you know when you hear this music, what we are about to unleash. It's week number three in the NFL, and it got started last night in Jacksonville with the Jacksonville Jaguars hosting the Miami Dolphins. Oh, oh, it's this magic. Once again, Ryan Fitzpatrick shows you why he is still a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's still balling, folks, as the Dolphins on the road going to Jacksonville and get a big win 31-13 over the Jaguars. I had Jacksonville in this game. As you can see, I've already started out 0-1 as we get ready for our picks in week three. And with that being said, let's roll. Let's do a roll call for Coach P's picks of the week for week three. And we go to Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons 0-2. After giving a game away last week to the Dallas Cowboys, Atlanta comes back home hoping to be able to salvage their season. They are hosting the 2-0 Chicago Bears. Chicago just escaped a victory last week at home against the Lonely Giants, but they are still 2-0. Mitchell Trubisky still not looking quite like a franchise quarterback in my eyes. I don't know about the Chicago fans, but in my eyes, he still doesn't look like a franchise quarterback. But I like Chicago's defense better than I like Atlanta's coaching staff. And although Atlanta's got weapons, we're not sure if we're going to see Julio Jones this week. I'm going to roll with the Bears on the road because of their defense. We go down to, I'm sorry, we go to Buffalo, where the Buffalo undefeated Bills will host the undefeated L.A. Rams and Coach Sean McVay. Buffalo folks have been the surprise in week number two. They're 2-0. They've been the surprise team to start the season out with. The addition of Stephon Diggs to that offense has only enhanced what Josh Allen's been able to do thus far in the early part of this season. The Rams, their offense is on all clicking on all cylinders with Jared Goff, Robert Wood being signed to a new deal, as, and along with his running mate, Cooper Cup, being assigned to a new deal. The Rams have looked like, again, the greatest show on turf 2.0. I like the Rams on the road against Buffalo. And the reason I like the Rams is because they have that guy, that monster in the middle, Aaron Donald, and they have welcome to Ramsey Island, Jalen Ramsey on the outside, who should be able to have a good matchup against Stefan Diggs this week. I'm going to roll with the Rams. Then we go to Cleveland, where the Cleveland Browns got their first win of the season last week against Cincinnati. And now they're hosting the Washington football team who's coming off a loss in the desert against Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. I like Cleveland in this game. I just think they have too much offense. The Washington football team has a good defense. I just think that they're going to have to deal with that two-headed monster, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, along with those receivers that Cleveland has on offense. And Cleveland should have enough defense to stop a Washington team who has not found out who has not found their identity yet on offense. So I like the Browns this week. 
Then we go up to Minnesota, where the 0-2 Vikings will be hosting the 2-0 Tennessee Titans. If anybody would have told me Minnesota would be starting this season out 0-2, I would have taken that bet. Because on paper, you would think that with them signing Dalvin Cook, and although they do not have the services of Stephon Diggs, they still have a pretty decent core receiving with Rudolph at tight end and Adam Thielen on the outside. But Minnesota's defense has got a lot of holes, folks. And they just lost their best linebacker, Anthony Barr, last week for the season with an injury. Tennessee comes in here with that monster in the backfield, Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill, who is showing you why the Titans had so much confidence in signing him into a new deal. I like Tennessee. Kirk Cousins looked terrible last week in Indianapolis. I don't know if he'll repeat that performance, but I don't know where Minnesota is right now. They've seemed to have lost their identity on the offensive side, and their defense is just full of holes right now. So I like the Titans in this game. Then we go up to New England, where Cam Newton is putting the Patriots on his back. And the New England Patriots are one and one. They host the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders led by their quarterback, Derek Carr, and that running game come in to New England after winning their first game at home last week in Las Vegas against the New Orleans Saints, come in 2-0 against Cam and New England at one-on-one. I'm going with Cam and New England at home. New England should have just enough defense, and I think Cam will make enough plays against this Las Vegas defense, who I think is still a little suspect. I like Cam at home to get the victory. Then we go to the Meadowlands, where the Giants are a walking hospital because now they're without the services of their best offensive weapon, Saquon Barkley, who was lost for the season with a torn ACL from last week's Chicago Bears game. They're going to ask Daniel Jones to try to see if he can carry this offense. They're also going to be without the services of Sterling Shepard at wide receiver, who also got put on IR. It's not looking good for the Giants, folks. But it's also not looking good from a ambulatory standpoint for the 49ers either, as they lost both, they lost both Nick Bosa and Jimmy Garoppolo last week, along with Mr. Moster at running back and another defensive uh, player last week. So they come in all banged up as well. But San Francisco still should have enough offense and still have enough on the defensive side of the ball to stop the Giants. I'm rolling with the 49ers this week to beat the Giants and lead the Giants at 0-3. Then we go to Philadelphia where we see the 0-2 Eagles hosting the 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati coming in with their future quarterback, showing you why he was the number one pick thus far. Joe Burrow playing very poised thus far through the first two weeks of this season, going against Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles started this season where they had a game in their hands against Washington that they let slip through. And then last week, they had to go against that Rams defense and that Rams up-tempo offense. They just didn't have enough in the second half to catch up. 
I do think they should be able to get a win against Cincinnati. Although Cincinnati has weapons on offense, their defense leaves a lot to be desired. I think the Eagles get their first win this week and try to quiet the fan base in Philadelphia calling for Carson Carson Wentz's head. So I like the Eagles to get their first win against Cincinnati this week. Then we go to the Steel City, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 2-0, going against the Houston Texans. In this game, the Texans are trying to find an identity. Without the services of one DeAndre Hopkins, the Texans are looking to try to figure out who they are on offense. They know that they have that guy, Deshaun Watson, but they have not been able to get through the first two weeks a significant ground game and find Deshaun a go-to receiver on the outside. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, I thought they struggled last week with Denver when uh, Mr. Driscoll had to come in to replace Drew Locke. I'm not sure what Pittsburgh's identity is right now. They tried to throw the ball over the yard, all over the yard last week. Um, James Conner looked good in spurts last week. I think Pittsburgh's defense will be able to hold off Deshaun and that Houston Texans team. So I like Pittsburgh to go 3-0 this week and the Texans to start out the first three weeks. They'll be 0-3. Then we go to Indianapolis where the Indianapolis Colts were able to get a big Went at home last week against the Minnesota Vikings. They will now host the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. The Jets are horrible. They're 0-2. They have been maligned by injuries all across their offensive set. No starting wide receivers. And they don't have a starting running back as Le'Veon Bell is also on IR. Indianapolis, on the other hand, Phillip Rivers looked a little better last week. I think this young defense will create problems for the Jets. Who are the Jets going to get the ball to? Who are, who's going to run the ball? Better yet, who's going to catch the ball? I think that their offense is going to struggle a lot. Although Indy is not a high-powered offense, they should be able to have their way with the New York Jets this week. Then we go to L.A. with the L.A. Chargers in their second straight home game as SoFi will host the now missing key component of the offense one Christian McCaffrey for the Carolina Panthers. McCaffrey out about four to six week with four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain will take on the Justin Herbert led LA Chargers. Yes folks, Justin Herbert who came in last week to start when he found out five minutes before kickoff that he would be the starting quarterback because Tyrod Taylor was dealing with a injury that he incurred from the medical staff when he was inadvertently when he inadvertently received a shot that was supposed to be meant for his rib cage, but instead he got the shot and it caused a punctured lung. So that's something that you're going to have to keep an eye out on for because the NFLPA may be looking to take action against the Chargers medical staff. With that being said, I still like the Chargers in this game. I look for Justin Herbert to continue to to grow as a quarterback and Carolina without the services of, of Christian McCaffrey. I think their offense is going to struggle. 
So we go to Denver where the Denver Broncos, speaking of struggling, they are struggling on the offensive side. They're missing their quarterback, Drew Locke. They're missing their top receiver, Mr. Sutton. And they're taking on a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team led by one Tom Brady, who is coming in after a big win last week at home against the Carolina Panthers, looking to go 2-1. and one. I think the Buccaneers will win this game. If nothing else, their defense will cause Denver's offense to struggle, especially with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback um, and for the injured Drew Locke. I don't see Denver being able to, to get enough offense together in order to have any chance of beating this Tampa Bay defense, which has played pretty well the first two weeks of the season. We return back to the desert in Arizona where we've seen the magic man himself, Kyler Murray, and his Arizona Cardinals 2-0 in the NFC West. They are hosting the 0-2 Detroit Lions. Okay, folks, let me know when Matt Patricia no longer has a job because I'm still trying to figure out why he is still the head coach of the Detroit Lions. I know it's only week two, but after week one and blowing the lead against Chicago the way they did, I think that Matt Patricia, the seat should be imploded by now. It shouldn't even be hot anymore. It should be imploded. And if they go 0-3, folks, start start getting the bags out. Detroit is not that good, especially under the leadership of Matt Patricia. Arizona, on the other hand, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins are fit made in heaven. These guys act as if they've been playing together for the last few years instead of just in one season and not even a full season where they even had a full training camp at all. I like Arizona to go 3-0, and I like for Detroit to go 0-3 and start getting your resumes ready, coaches, because there should be an opening in Detroit because Matt Patricia should be on his way out. And then we have the game of the day in the afternoon setting. In the Emerald City, the Seattle Seahawks, led by MVP hopeful Russell Wilson, taking on the miraculous Dallas Cowboys. That's right, folks. Dallas comes into this game having pulled off one of the most improbable wins last week at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Now we'll go to Seattle trying to see if they can cool down the hot hand of one Russell Wilson. Seattle's defense, a little suspect in the secondary. Dallas should be able to exploit that with the weapons that they have on offense. I just don't know if Dallas's defense can shut down Russell Wilson. And Russell being at home and being able to just be the man that he always is when he is at home. I believe that Seattle will pull this victory out. I hate to say that because Dallas really needs this. This would be a big game for them to go up to Seattle and get a win. If I had any confidence in that defense, I know that Dallas is going to put up points. I just don't know if Russell Wilson gets the ball last, if the defense can get a stop for me. So, unfortunately, I'm going to pick Seattle in this game to beat my Dallas Cowboys, but if Dallas does pull this out, this will be a major win for them and for Coach Mike McCarthy. We go to the Sunday night headliner, 
in New Orleans where Drew Brees coming off a loss last week on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders will be hosting Aaron Rodgers. That's right. A-Rod is back, folks. And the Green Bay Packers, the leading offensive team through two weeks in the NFL, come in here without the services of their number one wide receiver, Devontae Adams. That goes to match New Orleans because they'll be without their number one receiver, Michael Thomas, for two straight weeks. So now it's going to be left up to the ground game. And I like Aaron Jones, who is the do-all running back for Green Bay. Not only is he the leading rusher right now in the NFL, but he's also catching the ball out of the backfield. Not saying that Alvin Kamara is any slouch on the other side, but Alvin Kamara is used more in the passing game than he is as a pure runner for the Saints. I just think that Drew Brees has not been quite himself, and I don't know if that's because Father Time is winning that battle or he just misses the services of Michael Thomas. It could be a little bit of both. I like the way that Aaron Rodgers has stepped out through these first two weeks to show that he is still Aaron Rodgers. Hey, Rodgers! So I'm going with the Green Bay Packers to pull out this game and to go 3-0 and and the Saints. A lot of people's Super Bowl fancy this year. I look for them to be 1-2 and two after this game. And then we go, folks, to the Monday night headliner. This could be your preview for the AFC Championship between the undefeated Baltimore Ravens and the undefeated current Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. That's right, folks. Two MVPs going head to head. Kansas City's Super Bowl MVP and two year two years ago MVP Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson MVP from last season. Lamar is 0-2 against Kansas City, but both of those games have been on the road in Kansas City. Now they come to Baltimore. I like the Ravens in this game. I like the Ravens because they can run the ball and they can control the clock and they can keep Patrick Mahomes and that offense off the field. I think that Kansas City got exposed last week against the Chargers. That run defense is not where it was at the end of last year when they were making their playoff run. It looks like they've gone back to how they were at the beginning of last year where there were so many holes that they could not stop. They couldn't stop the run. And it's weird. it looks like they've reverted back to that phase of their defense again. And Lamar and Ingram, they're going to run this ball. Gus Edwards, and it's going to find an opportunity for maybe for Baltimore to take a shot downfield. They've got to get Hollywood Brown involved in this offense to open it up. You know that they're going to go to the tight end because that's, Lamar's comfort zone with Mr. Andrews, but I do like Baltimore's defense. Their secondary is second to none. What can you say about Mr. Peters on the corner? And him facing his former team, Kansas City, you know he's going to be motivated and hyped to prove to Andy Reid they should have never gotten rid of him. This will be a very good matchup 
for the early part of this season, but I'm going to roll with the Baltimore Ravens to pull out a victory against my man, my guy, Patrick Mahomes. Yes, folks, it's always a pleasure to be able to talk about the NFL. And just for those who have been waiting for college football to return in the SEC, you will get SEC football this weekend as well as the SEC kicks off their season this coming weekend. So, folks, you get SEC football, you get the ACC and the Big 12, and then on Sunday, you get the NFL. And don't forget about Saturday night, the ACC matchup between the Miami Hurricanes and the Florida State Seminoles. And then later on that evening, you get game number five in the Western Conference Finals between the L.A. Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. So you have a smorgasbord of events in the sports lane to watch to keep you entertained. And we just hope that everyone has a great weekend. Enjoy the games. And as we always do before we sign out as what, folks? Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports 24-7. I am your host, Coach P. We're out of here. Peace.